I was worried it was getting a little dodgy in the middle part, but then that finale. <laughs> wow! Hello, and welcome to Two for One, the podcast where we discuss two movies based on the same source material, or in today's podcast, based on the same event. I'm Claire. And I'm David, and today we're going to talk about uh, two movies based on the Battle of Midway, one of which came out in 1976, and one of which came out in 2019. They're both called Midway. And before we get started, um, I do have a cold, and I do have a sore throat, and... uh, bear with me and uh it's just that time of year so i i think we're going to start with um the context of this battle and what actually took place before we get into the uh the merits and specifics of each movie yeah so as david says these movies are based on an actual historical event the battle of midway which was a key moment in the conflict between the usa and japan during world war ii It happened in 1942, about six months after Japan had bombed Pearl Harbor, prompting the United States to enter the war. It was a critical event because it would determine whether the United States could maintain enough of a naval presence in the Pacific Ocean, not only in order to go on the offensive against Japan, but also to defend Hawaii and the West Coast. At this point in military history, the use of warplanes was essential, thus making aircraft carriers vital components of a navy force, allowing planes to take off from their decks and attack while the ships themselves remain out of view. Leading up to the Battle of Midway, Japan had a clear advantage when it came to carriers. The United States had only three available in the Pacific. The Hornet, the Enterprise, and the Yorktown, which had been badly damaged days before in the Battle of the Coral Sea. The U.S. Navy went all in, sending all three carriers to engage in the Battle of Midway in a gamble based on intelligence they had received through code-breaking. By deciphering bits and pieces, they determined that Japanese forces were preparing to launch an assault on Midway Island in order to gain that territory as a strategic position. Japan focused on their attack, not knowing they would be assaulted by American forces from multiple carriers. The battle itself was entirely dependent on warplanes engaging each other in flight as the Japanese forces tried to prevent American planes from reaching their ships and dropping torpedoes and bombs to destroy their carriers. In the end, U.S. forces sank four Japanese carriers. Japan, on the defensive, had to first locate the position of the U.S. carriers and managed to sink only one U.S. carrier, the Yorktown. The United States had successfully leveled the playing field and dealt a serious blow to Japan's position in the Pacific. And so the Battle of Midway is considered a turning point in the war. I think that's a pretty good explanation. Let's get into what both of these movies are about. So let's start with Midway 2019, which largely follows two American characters and begins in 1937 with U.S. Navy intelligence officer Edwin Layton meeting Japanese Admiral Yamamoto. The two discuss Japanese politics and express their hopes of avoiding war between the U.S. and Japan, which Yamamoto seems doubtful that Japan would be able to win. We then fast forward to 1941, where we meet Navy pilot Dick Best, great name, whose ship USS Enterprise is out to sea when the Japanese fleet attacks Pearl Harbor. 
While other characters are brought into the story, we primarily see the following six months from the viewpoints of these two characters, the intelligence officer and the carrier pilot. Through the aftermath of Pearl Harbor, the Doolittle Raid on Japan and its impact on China, early carrier skirmishes including the Marshall Islands and the Coral Sea, and finally the lead-up to Midway itself. Though the movie follows intelligence and flag officers of both navies as the battle plans for Midway are drawn up, the emotional heart of this movie is Best's character arc as he steps into a leadership role prior to and during the battle. The battle itself takes place primarily from the point of view of American bomber pilots and senior officers on both sides of the engagement, as wave after wave of American aircraft are sent against the Japanese carriers, grinding down their defenses until Best and other pilots are able to break through and score hits on the carriers. Um, of the two characters I mentioned, uh, Leighton is played by Patrick Wilson, and the main character, Dick Best, is played by Ed Screen. So that's 2019, now we're going to go back in time uh, and, and talk about the 1976 movie, which begins with a title sequence depicting the launch of the Doolittle Raid and the accompanying destruction in Tokyo. The raid amounts to very little strategically, but frightens the Japanese government into accepting Admiral Yamamoto's plan for a decisive battle with the U.S. Navy in which America's carriers, and therefore its specific air power and ability to threaten Japanese-held territory, would be wiped out. While the Japanese Navy plans its battle, U.S. Naval Intelligence deciphers enough Japanese code to predict the exact time, location, and nature of the battle plan. The human interest story here is Captain Matthew Garth, a senior naval aviator stationed at Pearl Harbor, and his son, Lieutenant Thomas Garth, who has fallen in love with a Japanese-American girl who's been interned in Honolulu along with her family. The elder Garth, played by Charlton Heston, serves as something of a go-between for the intelligence officers and the senior staff, while at the same time grappling with his relationship with his son and the necessity of Japanese internment to national security. During the battle itself, we get a relatively balanced set of viewpoints, including pilots and senior staff on both sides, with a lot of focus on the strategic decisions of Japanese Admiral Nagumo, played by James Shigeta. Yeah, so somehow despite telling the same story, the movies end up feeling very different. So let's talk about those differences, shall we? Well, the motion picture teleplay was uh, respectful and exhibited tastefulness and class. Who made you an expert all of a sudden? I think the first thing we wanted to talk about was just, there's so much complexities that go into a real life historical event that it's interesting what each movie decided to include or leave out. And, I mean, some of these things, it's not clear why they would choose to include it or if it was necessary or if it was just someone found this very interesting so I want to add it in. One thing I think that just broadly makes them quite different is, as you mentioned, David, the 2019 movie spends a lot more time on the events leading up to the Battle of Midway. Like, literally 47 minutes into the 2019 movie, you get to the beginning of the events of the 1976 movie. So they spend that much time on the Marshall Islands, Coral Sea, Pearl Harbor, all the events beforehand. Um, whereas, I think, on the other hand, something that makes the 1976 movie really stand out is that they included footage actually from the war itself. Um, and also from other movies too, so I don't know if this was like 
a real like directorial decision or just sort of like taking what they can get because it's hard to make mm-hmm. those scenes but that's something that I would say just on the face make watching these movies very different you get a lot more historical background in the 2019 version and you get a lot more types of clips and whatnot in the 1976 version yeah I think the 1976 version you're right because like they can't replicate what these battles looked like you know especially midway which you know i looked it up after the after we watched the movies and i think overall 400 planes were shot down which is to say nothing of like all the planes that were involved in the battle and all the ships that were involved in the battle and everything else you can't really replicate that because it's a war they they said we can't do it so we're gonna make it feel real by giving you footage that even though it's not always clear what's happening you mm-hmm. know that oh this is like real footage of of uh you know world war Two. whether it's comes from you know documentaries that were made or or whatever just footage that was shot so it has that added realism kind of in lieu of what the battle would actually look like you know right but then there are a bunch of like tiny small differences as well Things like, apparently there was a submarine literally in the middle of all of the Japanese forces, which does not get even mentioned in the 1976 version, but in the 2019 movie, you see the sub just... And it actually ends up being critical to the battle because one of the the pilots, McCluskey, uh, he spots the battleship that had been staying back to try to sink the submarine. And because that battleship had stayed behind in order to attack the sub, McCluskey saw it and was able to follow it to the carriers. And if McCluskey hadn't seen that battleship, it's possible that all of those Enterprise planes would have never found the Japanese fleet. Because so much of this battle was just, where are the ships, you know? And this is a real person. This is, um, I guess, Ed McCluskey, played by Luke Evans. Luke Um, Evans in 2019. He was in the... 1976 movie as well played by Christopher George yeah but not a major character because like in in 2019 we do follow uh, both McCluskey and mostly Dick Best and a couple other pilots who are stationed on the Enterprise um, through you know the beginning half of 1942 but yeah like it's it's like this weird chain of events where this submarine accidentally ends up in the middle of the fleet they take a shot at one of the carriers and miss, and the Japanese realize they're there. They send a destroyer to chase down the sub and then come back to the fleet, and then McCluskey's in the air, and they had lost the Japanese fleet, or, like, right. their location. They're just guessing. Like, they know... Yeah, they know they're between this degree and this degree. They know based base on, yeah. you know, intercepted signals intelligence that mm-hmm. they should be over here somewhere, and they just say, okay, guys, go find them, you know? And they had basically lost them and until he sees the the one destroyer and says, you know what, I'm guessing that they're trying to catch up with the fleet. Let's go get them. Yeah, but there's a lot of little things like that. And well, what that really leaves you with is the, the chance that leads to this American victory. Just the fact that that interaction with the submarine happened, which allowed the ship to be spotted. So that's something that the 2019 movie decided to include, but... Similarly, just imparting the the chance and happenstance that affected this battle. The 1976 movie focuses a lot on, like, scouter planes, Mm -hmm. which 
like we're saying, the first thing you got to do is figure out where the ships are. So both the American forces and then later the Japanese forces, they're sending out these scout planes in order to say, okay, we know they're somewhere within this range, find their location. And we start out with the American forces, obviously, because they, they were anticipating Japan being there, so they were launching their attack on the Japanese forces. <laughs> and these planes that are out there, they're radioing back what they've found but they keep... And they're just super vague about it. They're like, we found the fleet, and that's yeah. it, you know? Yeah, we found the main body of the fleet, and the commanding officers are like, main body? What, yeah, because... Well, do they have carriers or not? Because they knew that the Japanese fleet had split into two. One right. was a carrier strike force, and one was the invasion force for Midway that was going to show up afterward mm-hmm. and both, like, clean out the American response because they didn't expect the carriers to show up until a day later. And then invade the island. So when you say, like, oh, we saw the main fleet, if you're reading the intelligence, like, they're radioing that back to Pearl Harbor, mm-hmm. they're like, we already know there are two fleets. Like, which did you find? Did we? Yeah. Did you find the one with carriers or not? And if they'd sent planes after that first transmission saying we found the main body, they would never, they wouldn't have gotten to the carriers. Yeah. And then on the Japanese side, there's uh, a whole the series Japanese of... The Japanese had a lot of bad luck problems where I, I think initially they they sent a scout plane or they were going to send they a scout plane over four per, scout planes well before that they were they were going to send a oh, scout right. plane over pearl harbor and just make sure the american carriers are still there yeah. because i think they'd been surprised during pearl harbor that the american carriers weren't there yes and so they're and so because of that and then because like the whole point of this battle is they're going to be 24 hours late to the battle and we're going to we're going to destroy Midway first and then we'll be ready for the American carriers when they show up that they're just so much depends on getting the timing right and they send a plane to scout over Pearl Harbor to see if the carriers are there and they just never hear back right I think they run into a refueling issue or something but then like you're saying they're split into two naval yeah. fleets one fleet finds out Operation K never happened. We don't know if the carriers right. are at Pearl Harbor. And the other group is like, we haven't heard anything, so yeah. I guess we're just going to keep operating on our latest intelligence from days ago that the carriers yeah. are at Pearl Harbor. And they're like, they're explicit. In the movie, I don't know how close this is to what really happened, but in the movie, uh, Admiral Nagumo is in charge of the carrier strike force, um, and Yamamoto is in charge of, he's, he's hanging back with the rest of the fleet. And for some reason, Yamamoto's uh, portion of the fleet gets the message, but then decides not to transmit it to Nagumo. And they're like, surely he got this message, right? And then Nagumo's fleet is like, well, surely, like, we, since we didn't hear from Yamamoto, like, nothing went wrong. We have to go forward anyway, right? And the reason for that is because there's so much communications blackout. Because even though they have codes and everything, Everything is getting picked up, right. and they don't want to make their presence near Midway known. And every second yeah. is like is vital. Like any second that you can surprise the enemy. I mean, that's been like naval warfare for as long as naval warfare has existed. Is that's just just the nature of that type of warfare, I guess. But yeah, I mean, like it kind of brings it back to the submarine, where the reason that they had those submarines out was for just like random shit like that to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, that you you send the scout planes out not because 
you're probably going to find something. But, like, you have to do all these little things, and one of those little things is going to make a huge difference, exactly. you know? But you have no idea what it is. Yeah. And then, so there's all these, like, little tiny decisions that they're all making all the time. Some of them turn out to be really important, and some of them are based on, like, weather or, like, an right. equipment malfunction or what pilot was in the oh, plane or the something like that. equipment malfunction. Because eventually Japan sends out more scouter planes once they're under attack. And those planes, too, have issues. And the one that actually finds the U.S. carriers ends up, their radio doesn't work. So they right. can't even communicate back right. to the fleet where they are. And they had one that launched half an hour late and that was to find the fleet. the first one to find any ships at all, but they're getting that <coughs> information late because that was the plane that left late. Yeah. And they also, I think, reported back like really vaguely or incorrectly to the point that the Japanese were like, what? you got to wonder, what are the standards for communication that Whoa. so many of these Seems messages low. are being sent, you know, I don't know. But yeah, it's just, it's interesting what they included because I think this, these movies could be many, many hours long if they included everything. But I think they both managed to effectively convey the amount of chance and happenstance involved in winning the battle. Yeah, I think that was very explicit in uh, the 76 movie because it, it starts with, um, you know, like an introductory text that basically says there's so much luck involved in this mm -hmm. that, like, we're going to show what we're going to show, but it's yeah. really just luck the way that this all happened. However, while those bits and pieces are different, you know, which was included in which movie, there is one aspect of the battle that was included in both movies and I think is well worth comparing because it's done pretty differently despite being essentially the same conversation. And that's the conversation with this guy, Joseph Rochefort. Yeah, both movies do take a lot of time uh, to talk about the intelligence collection on the American side, and in some senses, like, the lack of the same on the Japanese side. Normally, in a war movie, you don't really see the intelligence collection, even though it's such an important part of, you know, no, you know how, how these decisions are made all the time. But in this, in this case, I think it's so undeniably important that it is really a major focus of both movies along yeah. with the actual combat itself so that's this guy rochefort's job is that he is receiving the japanese transmissions which are all in code and he and his team are working to understand whatever they can of it and both movies you come away with the idea that they are understanding or they're interpreting about 10 percent of everything that they're receiving. Mm -hmm. So for the entire Battle of Midway to have been dependent upon the intelligence being provided by these guys, it's very shaky and very uncertain if this is actually reliable enough information to commit all available carriers to this battle. But obviously it turned out well for the American forces. But this guy, so Joseph Rochefort, He's played by Brennan Brown in the 2019 movie, and he's played by Hal Holbrook in the 1976 movie. He's clearly an eccentric, because that's how both movies depict this real historical person. Um, I, th I think in both movies they come down, he's like got a drink in his hand and is like smoking yeah. a cigar or whatever. I think smoking he, a cigar, wearing yeah. a bathrobe, like <laughs> yes. glass of whiskey or whatever in his hand, you know. And so the you know, commanding officers are just like, oh, do we really trust this guy, you know? And it's 
an interesting conversation where they're asking him to walk them through how he's getting this information, which I think is, you know, as much for it being interesting as to explain it to the audience as well. And in the 1976 movie, it's... (laughs) What's his line? He's explaining it to Charlton Heston's character, Captain Matt Garth, and... You get a flicker here and a glimmer there. Missing pieces fall into place. How much can you decipher? Oh, hell, 15%. Re-decipher. 10%. That's one word in 10, for Christ's sakes, Joe. You're guessing. We like to call it analysis. Yeah, right. Sounds like guesswork. Well, we call it analysis. Exactly. You know, there's some lightheartedness, surprisingly, within the 1976 movie mm-hmm. that definitely comes across, especially with uh, the Joseph Rochefort character. Whereas in 2019, you still get a guy who's in a bathrobe, you know, clearly operating outside of, of standard operating procedure with his team of, I think the 2019 movie, he says, like, most of the guys working for me are from the band because yeah. I figured their the predilection for the rhythm would, But it doesn't have that same atmosphere to it of just, like, isn't this kind of a ridiculous thing? Instead, it's morose. And when the commanding officer, in this case, it's Nimitz who's talking to him, who was an actual historical person, and in this movie played by Woody Harrelson. But Nimitz is like, I don't really know about this, and... Rochefort's like, sir, imagine that you're throwing a wedding and maybe I've never seen the invitation, but I hear from the caterers that they have an event on a certain date. The flower guys buying up all the roses on the island. The best band is booked. That's what signal intelligence can give you. Clues. And it's just sort of like extra explaining it. So I think in terms of how these movies are presenting the events of the war, in this particular example, which is one of the only one-to-one descriptions we can really look at, 1976 did it in a better way, I would say. No, Do you agree with, with my analysis? I didn't really mind the like the wedding invitation stuff. Um, I didn't think that was too overwrought. But like I understand what you're saying, that the depiction of like this intelligence gathering and the people who are doing it is like so offbeat. That then to have it be like this super serious thing, it doesn't like mesh well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the character of Rochefort and the guy he's based on, or the guy, you know, the actual guy who's Rochefort and the character in both of these movies is such like a weirdo. And like the, the signals intelligence that they're doing is so, it's not that it's unscientific, but it's that there's so much analysis, you know, analysis involved. <laughs> Guesswork. <laughs> That then to have it be like this really serious thing is a little it's a little jarring, yeah. I guess. And I mean, Rochefort ends up being one of my favorite characters in the 1976 movie because they do start putting him in scenes that I don't imagine the actual Rochefort was there being yeah. like, oh yeah, so what are we going to do next? And like, the so battle? the other thing is that Charlton Heston in 1976, I sort of said he's kind of a go-between because he's a pilot and he's also sort of a high-ranking officer. Like he's hanging mm-hmm. out with Nimitz all the time. But he's also hanging out with Rochefort all the time. Yeah. And it's just like, why is this guy, you know, doing this? And to your point where you were saying Nimitz was coming down to Rochefort in 2019, mm-hmm. but that scene happened with uh, Charlton Heston in 1976. And it was like, 
I don't know, like, this character is so, like, surrounded by all these real people doing what they really did during this battle. There's this one guy that's running around doing everything, you know? But I, I, I liked the inclusion of Charlton Heston's character as being the stand-in for, like, us watching it, you know? So he yeah. has to interact with everybody. That was very different than the 2019 version where, like you said, the main character is Dick Best, and it kind of limits what we're seeing because mm-hmm. it's just Dick Best's story. Yeah. But. Well, the other thing about 2019 is that they emphasized... The, the the military and the public, I think, viewed Pearl Harbor or the attack on Pearl Harbor as like an intelligence failure. So even though there had been people who right. were warning that, you know, this could happen, the fact that it did happen meant that intelligence had dropped the ball. So there's a bunch of characters saying, uh, Patrick Wilson is basically saying, like, I vowed to myself that I would push harder next time because he had been pushing for... You know, he had been saying, like, this is going to happen or this this is potentially going to happen. Mm-hmm. And he was basically, like, brushed aside. And he's saying, like, no, next time I'll push harder. And there's another character that tells him, like, if you don't have to fall on your sword for this, like, you need to make sure it doesn't happen again. Because they knew that a bunch of people were going to be, you know, yeah. blamed for, for Pearl Harbor. No, I think that's very, very effective for that one character. Well, and I think it adds... If he is the intelligence character. So... Rochefort is the code breaker, but Leighton is the intelligence yeah. person. He's the person like interpreting it all and sharing yeah, he's, the information. He's high level ups. staff. Yeah. And for him to have been there and had an idea that Pearl Harbor could happen, like like you're saying, David, he really takes that lesson to heart. But I think that's why it's more melodramatic in that movie because, because it's, we it's almost start like really trusting the intelligence. Exactly. Yeah, it's I like see. the stakes are higher because like the intelligence is what led to like the decisions about intelligence are what leads to something like Pearl Harbor either happening or not happening. You know what I mean? Right. And whereas Pearl Harbor doesn't even happen in the 1976 movie. So they barely talk about, you know, whether it was an intelligence failure or not. Okay. And that also explains how the movies depict differently Remember how I was talking a second ago about how they needed that fake message to be sent from Midway in order to confirm mm-hmm. that the Japanese code for Midway actually was Midway and not somewhere else? Mm-hmm. So that code is sent out and confirms what the code is. In the 1976 movie, it's all of Rochefort's team in a room. They start cheering as soon as they get the, the Japanese transmission and they're realizing, ah, they took the bait and now we're sure the target is midway. We've successfully done the thing, right? Whereas in the 2019 movie, again, it's much more solemn tone because it's that Edwin Layton character played by Patrick Wilson meeting with Nimitz to be like, so Japan sent this message. About well, it's midway. not that it's solemn, <laughs> it's that they're... They're, well, it's very serious. Well, they're acting like, oh, like, we don't know why Midway sent this message, even though they had told them to do it. So they're like, gee, like, so it's sort of like they're play acting that this just sort of happened. But they're they're like, they're, it's just the two of them in the room. So it's like, why would they be doing this, you know? Yeah. So it's a little silly in and that sense. And that's the scene that made me, made me think if I hadn't seen the 1976 movie before i wouldn't have understood what was mm-hmm. going on in that scene because it is it was a little because they're too just much talking they're not being around the bush what is it know? called they're not being sarcastic but they're like saying the opposite of what they mean to say or they're like yeah. pretending that 
that they didn't order this because in this movie they're going around command to prove that they're correct. Anyhow, I I don't think that that's proof that 1976 is a better movie, but I will say for this one point of comparison, I think the movies were trying to achieve different ends, like you were saying. Yeah. All right, I think we have another topic we want to talk about here, which was the Japanese forces. Uh, Obviously, this movie is shown from an American point of view, following the U.S. naval officers involved. However, they do include multiple scenes of Japanese commanders and even some scenes in Japan. What did you take away of the differences of what each movie decided to include and how they decided to present the Japanese story? I think in terms of the depiction, the first thing you notice is that uh, in the 1976 version, the actors are almost all Americans and speaking English. Uh, with the exception of Toshiro Mifune, who, who is... we love, we love Mifune. Mm. He's amazing. He's in a lot of the Kurosawa movies. If you're familiar with like Seven Samurai, yeah. Mifune makes that movie. In a movie with a great ensemble cast, Mifune is incredible. Yeah, just a person with like a lot of charisma. But he does he's... not have a lot to do in this movie, though. <laughs> yes, but I think he's one of the few Japanese actors, and he's dubbed into English. So that's like the big difference because in 2019. Uh, the all the Japanese characters are speaking Japanese through the whole movie, and we get subtitles. Mm-hmm. I think there's a couple scenes where there's a translator giving us the English lines immediately after. I think there are other differences in like who the movies decide to follow on the Japanese side. Overall, the the two movies on the Japanese side focus a little bit on different characters and on different. Um, I don't know. They kind of well. Let's talk about decide who they're gonna support. Exactly. Because yes. I think there's at, one character that they have very different points of view. Yeah, on. Yeah, because I think as much as like as much as this is like viewed as a victory for American intelligence, mm-hmm. it's also a Japanese. It's I mean, failure. Yeah, like someone has to be blamed for like why Japan fucked this up so bad. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of. I, I was trying to do some research on like the historiography and stuff. And, and what people now think. And it seems like it's still pretty contentious. But the the controversy, I guess, is whose fault this is, whether it's Yamamoto's fault, because he... Like I said, in the, in the 2019 movie, they show a scene of him in 1937 where he's basically like, I don't really know if Japan can win a war against yeah, the United he, like, States. Yeah, he knew the whole time that getting involved in a war with the U.S. Yeah. was a bad idea. I think it's a bad idea, and I don't, I don't know if we can win a war, but I'm pretty sure we can't win a long war. So that leads to him thinking, okay, it's really the smart thing is to try to win a short war. You know, eliminate the American carriers destroy their presence in the Pacific and then, you know, we'll be able to threaten them enough that maybe right. they will decide it's not worth fighting so this war. So Midway was his idea. So Midway is essentially his idea and he is putting someone else in charge of actually doing it and that person is Admiral Nagumo. Um, Nagumo is played by Jun Kunimura in the 2019 movie. He is played by James Shigeta in the... Who you know, if you've seen Die Hard, he plays uh, Mr. Takagi. 
And I thought he was really good in the 1976 movie. Not only was the acting good, but he actually seemed like a competent, good yeah. commander in the and 1976 movie. In terms of like the depiction of uh, the Japanese officers, that I think that was the biggest difference, is that the 2019 movie almost like deified Yamamoto in terms of like and his prescience like of... And Nagumo was a buffoon. Right, yeah. But So Yamamoto like sees what's coming and wants to avoid war. And comes up with this great plan, and then Nagumo fucks it up. And I mean, I guess there are. It's not just that. It's like the scenes you get of Nagumo before the war. He's acting like he's throwing a tantrum in the like planning room, right? Because he lost. He's yelling. So we get a scene of uh, war games that Yamamoto isn't a part of, but he kind of walks in. They were sort of like plotting out the possible ways it could play out and how they would react. And so Yamamoto walks in and Nagumo is yelling at junior officers and Yamamoto's like, what are you doing? And Nagumo's like, like, they "They cheated. cheated. Yeah. And so he's like, what did you do? And the junior officer is like, well, I brought my carriers out from Pearl Harbor and put them northeast of Midway before the battle. Which and is so, what actually happened. Which is what Midway. happened. And so when they attacked Midway, I counterattacked with my carriers. Nugumo's like, yeah, he can't do that. Yeah. And Yamamoto's like, mm, well, yeah, he can't do that. Which I think, like, to its credit, the movie is like, yeah, Yamamoto is like not... In that in that instance, it showed him like making the wrong decision. I, I found that scene annoying. Well, I told David before the podcast I found that scene annoying because it basically just foreshadows what actually happens at Midway, and I feel like the movie included the yeah, scene. Yeah, that junior officer like, should be promoted. The movie included the scene so that you can follow the rest of the movie of like, hey, remember what that guy did in the fake, you know, planning meeting? That's what actually happens. But it's also annoying because this movie did not include all the Japanese scouting and everything. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the 1976 movie, it seems that Japan is fully they are aware of that possibility. Yeah. And that's why they come up with Operation K. Like, we got to scout and make sure the carriers are at Pearl Harbor. It's just that that scouting mission ends up not being feasible or mm-hmm. whatever. It's not that they didn't it's try to It's not that Nagumo is a total, like, yeah. idiot. It's that they got really... Bad luck. Bad luck, yeah. Possibly just we're never going to win the battle. And like, I think when when one side is going to win, sometimes all these little things break one way, you know? Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's just that like, because of the signals intelligence that the U.S. had, they were just in a dominant position to win the battle the whole time. You know, I think that's debatable. And, you know, it might have been his fault. And I think the other, well, in, in addition to that, mm-hmm part of it which is like nagumo being like maybe arrogant in the 2019 movie and Mm -hmm. maybe in you know real life about their odds of winning this battle also there's one particular decision that both of these movies really focus on and i think is important but maybe a little bit played up in these movies and that's Either they are loading planes up with bombs in order to attack airstrips or land-based locations, or they're loading the planes up with torpedoes in order to attack ships. Obviously, the Japanese forces think that they're just attacking midway, so they're going to they load it up with bombs. They don't think the carriers are showing they up really until the next They really want to knock day. out those airstrips so that they don't have to deal with, deal with any planes coming to attack them. But then, lo and behold, all these planes are coming in. The issue that Nagumo is faced with is after sending out their first set of planes to go attack Midway Island, do they load the planes up with torpedoes in case there are carriers, 
or do they load them up with bombs for a second assault in case the first one doesn't knock out the airstrip at midway? And then, of course, they actually start being attacked by planes, and so they yeah, realize they the planes find, are coming from carriers. They I mean, find the carrier, and yes. then they're like, shit, okay, let's let's do the other thing. Yeah, and so... They, they just keep... And also, it's really funny, because uh, Pat Morita, who you know as... Uh, Mr. Miyagi. Uh, Mr. Miyagi in the Karate Kid films. He is another one of the um, Japanese admirals. He's on, I guess, Nagumo's staff. So he's in all these decisions during the battle. But every time Nagumo's like, ah, oh, what should I do? You get Pat Morita on the side being like, hey, man, you, you do this. We need to load them up with torpedoes. Yeah. And then they're like, all right, let's load them up with torpedoes. And then five minutes later... They're like, Pat Morita, what do you think? And he's like, no, we, we, the, the bombs, you know, the bombs, yeah. obviously. And then five minutes later, they're like, dude. Anyway, he, he plays uh, Admiral Kusaka. We, we were kind of debating, like, whether he is the MVP for the U.S. Navy in that movie. Uh, or I think Claire rightly pointed out that he was making the correct decision at the time, in every yeah. case, even though he kept switching what he believed. The real difference is Nagumo and... His right hand man because Kusaka, right? So who was the other guy? Uh, Pat Morita is Kusaka. No, but Nagumo had another advisor who he generally agreed with the guy who had the flu. Oh, the guy was a dick. I mean, basically, so Nagumo's he has two advisors, Pat Morita's only one of them, and he it's kind of like an angel and devil on his shoulder. Yeah, it's ex- that's exactly what I was thinking, which is very different than 2019, who's just like. He's making Nagumo the made bad decisions yeah. and was a bad leader. Whereas in 1976, he's getting these two different advisors. But the advisors aren't even one's giving good advice and one's giving bad advice. They're just giving different advice. Yeah, nor like nor one is generally inclined toward this or generally inclined toward that. It's just that yeah, they they are both giving different viewpoints, which is what you're like. I yeah. think that's what your staff one is of for, them, yeah, right? Exactly to bring up the things that you know the captain or like this other officer or whoever that just gave you a report they didn't mention these things these are the things you should think about and i think that's kind of if you're on someone's staff that's kind of your job right and that's what pat morita is doing and my defense of pat morita is unlike the other advisor we should call him by his act we shouldn't just sorry what if uh, I've been doing... Kusaka. It's hard not... In defense of Kusaka. When you see, when you see Mr. Miyagi in a naval uniform... It's hard a, not to be like, Mr. Miyagi uniform. was given some bad advice. Yeah, but anyway. Uh, in defense of Kusaka, uh, the other advisor seems smart if you're watching it knowing that the U.S. forces are there. Mm-hmm. But honestly, he was just being like overly cautious. To load up the planes with torpedoes in the case of... A naval assault when the whole operation is meant to be attacking an island like and that's sort of Kusaka's responses no we should get the bombs on the planes because we should focus on what we're actually doing right we're here and we have an invasion force for midway yeah we need to launch immediately and I think he even I mean he at the beginning of the assault Pat Morita's character, Kusaka, was like, we should put our best pilots in the planes for the first assault. And I don't know why Naguma didn't go with that advice, because that's obviously what you want to do. If you want to knock out the airstrips, and the people who are going to have the highest chance of doing that. Whatever. Pat Morita changes his tune once he gets new information. But that's just... He's always operating on what information he has. Yeah. And I think he's making the smart decision based off of what they know which unfortunately means the lack of information Japan has 
led to a lot of his advice being really bad advice. I think it's interesting to watch it with that viewpoint because generally when you watch like war movies or a depiction of a battle or something, it usually gives the audience like as much information as the characters have. And I think it would take maybe a couple viewings to really internalize what the characters actually know, even though they beat you over the head with the fact that nobody knows anything, you know? And there's one line, I think, in 1976 movie where they're like, I wonder what Yamamoto is doing right now. Yes. And they're like, same thing we're doing, sitting there with his dick in his hands. They don't say that. They say, sweating it out. But that's yeah. what they mean, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they have no idea. But, like, yeah, to see... Um, to see, like, the staff, uh, or Nagumo's staff, like, just arguing about, like, what the correct thing to do is when we know what it is, it's, like, hard to figure out, like, okay, are they, what are they trying to say about him as, like, someone who's making these decisions? And maybe it was indecision, you know, that really doomed yeah. them. I don't know if this will be mentioned again later, so just the reason this is important in both movies is because it leaves that carrier in particular in a position where their deck is covered with planes that are all armed, and so that carrier actually was only hit one time by U.S. forces, by the pilot Dick Best, who is the main character of the 2019 movie, but that one bomb that Dick Best dropped ended up sort of having a chain reaction of all the planes on board and sank that carrier. Whereas every other carrier sank required multiple, you know, hits to go down. Which is why that that sort of indecision and like changing your mind and yeah. really I want to say that's the story. Really messing up. But I think like I didn't realize in either of these movies until we watched them a second time. And I think between the two viewings I had looked this up. The other factor was that it kind of seems like all these American bombing waves because they know when the Japanese are going to show up. So they launch from Midway and they launch from their carriers all around the same time at where they're guessing the Japanese fleet is going to be. But because they're all different planes and they're all launching from different places and none of them actually know where the fleet is, they all arrive kind of at different times, but sort of like in waves, like constant waves. And it sort of just looks like suicide attacks like the first few waves i think they're like oh 15 bombers just shot down and we didn't lose anything you know of american bombers going after these carriers but like just the randomness of all the waves not arriving exactly the same time but a few minutes apart and then they would have like 10 minutes later another wave of bombers would arrive that the japanese fighters that were you know doing a really good job of like protecting the aircraft carriers they couldn't land because they were their flight decks were preparing you know they kept switching from torpedoes to bombs and back and the the fighters were running really low on fuel and kept coming lower and lower to intercept the bombers that were coming at them that it was sort of like they were grinding them down to the point where you know if you send hundreds of bombers after these carriers their fighters are eventually going to lose fuel and, you know, they're not going to be in position to take all of them out. So it was really attrition on, on their part. Yeah. And so the torpedo bomb thing kind of plays into that because they could have started landing their fighters. You know, they needed to launch a strike against the carriers, but they could have started landing their fighters oh. if they weren't ready to do that. So it's just like that was another decision. And I don't know if you would get that from 
watching these movies, even though it's like a line in both movies. Yeah. You know, they say, our fighters are, they're too low. Like, they came in low, you know, and I think in one movie they're like, our fighters are just glory hunting, you know, mm. going after these bombers when that's not what they should be doing. They need to stay high and protect us from the next wave. Not entirely related, but there's a scene in one of the movies, and I don't know which, but it's of a Japanese fighter looking down at an aircraft carrier burning, and it's just like, dude's got nowhere to land. I mean, a lot. there were many moments in, in these movies where you just get reminded of the reality of, of war. Yes. Yeah. I did have one thought on their depiction of Japan itself, uh, the 1976 movie, when the ships are launching, you get a scene of all these Japanese civilians basically, like, you know, waving their hankies at the ships, just mm. like, oh, this is like our armed forces and we're so proud of them, you know? Which I think we are very, like, we recognize that because we've seen that so often, usually with American forces in, in a movie of just that national pride. And I think the 76 movie does give a lot of consideration to the Japanese experience of the battle, you know? That this was a loss for them. Whereas I think the 2019 movie, I mean, yeah, they they make Nagumo look like a buffoon and they look like Yamamoto, who did not want to go into battle, look like he was... I'm sorry, not want to go to war, look like he was just this genius guy who should have been listened to, but they were living in this, you know, imperialist state... And I think it's important to mention that the 2019 movie includes a lot more of China's experience of Imperial Japan. And so I think it's shown more as, yeah, this imperialist force that just was destroying mm-hmm. China. I mean, there was a Chinese production company involved in the making yeah. of the 2019 and, movie. And I think that's actually worth noting because I, I think a lot has been made of, like, you know, Hollywood both, like, marketing more to... Chinese audiences, mm-hmm. and so like random movies will have a scene in China where like a Chinese character is a hero, and then you're like, who was that guy? Mm-hmm. And they're like, that doesn't matter. We've moved on. That was just for the Chinese audience, or like scenes that are only shot for a Chinese audience. I think there's a lot of that, and a lot's been made of it. And I think this was the first time that I've seen something where it was clear that there was Chinese involvement in the movie, and it actually, I thought, improved it. Like, so you see the Doolittle raid, and um, they land... Doolittle himself, we kind of follow him because he crash lands Doolittle's in China. played by... Uh, by Aaron Eckhart. Yes. You know him as... Uh, Two-Face. Aaron Eckhart in, uh, in the 2019 movie. And so he crash lands in China and meets up with uh, Chinese resistance forces in Japanese-occupied China, and... We see some of the we see like the Japanese bombers um, basically just bombing civilians in China, and Aaron Eckhart's like, why you know Doolittle's like, why are they doing that? And it's like, oh, no reason. That's just what they do. And I think that is like, well, that I mean, it comes across very that hits you full in the face yeah. when Aaron Eckhart's character um, Doolittle yeah. is just like their targets are just people. Yeah. Not anything strategic. It's it's a really heartbreaking moment. Yeah. And I think it's good that we have the Chinese perspective because that is their perspective of like Imperial Japan. Yeah, like, Japan was an empire that was doing yeah. atrocious things and needed yeah. to be stopped. And, and for because us because of the Battle of Midway, they 
Well, because the, the Allies won the war, yeah. right? Yeah, more that, more so all of World War Two, but yeah. yeah, with Midway being a turning point that that led to sort of yeah. reigning in Japan's uh, yeah. actions. And so I think, like, to, to bring it back just to what you said a second ago, I think in 1976, it is almost like they present Japan without any judgment whatsoever, you know? Like, I'm thinking mm-hmm. in particular of one scene where the Japanese uh, carrier launches. I think it's the strike against Midway Island at the beginning of the battle. Mm -hmm. And John Williams' score, like, swells, and it's, like, this great, like, triumphant moment. Commence launching. And it's like, okay, like, I'm glad, like, we can show... You know, we don't have to be like rah rah America all the time, but it, at the same time, it is a little like tone deaf if you're including, you know, the greater perspective of like what the Japanese Empire yeah. actually means. You know. So I think, as far as Japanese Empire, the 2019 movie actually, you know, explains that that was a a terrible thing, yeah. and the 1976 movie doesn't. However. When it comes to Japanese Americans, the 1976 movie has this whole subplot about Japanese internment in the 70s, which to me is impressive because I had always, you know, learning about Japanese internment was a revelation to me as a teenager. And I felt like I was taught it as like, this is something that is not normally included in history books. Of course, I think that's really changing now, but to see uh, the Japanese internment in the 1976 movie and yeah, uh, what's his name? Charlton Heston's character's son is in love with a Japanese girl, and she and her family are now in a camp, and they're about to be, you know, shipped to the West Coast to be in a more permanent camp. It, you know, you see how unjustly they were being detained, you yeah. know, arrested and detained, and it's just, and I wonder if that goes hand in hand with their depiction of Japan as a nation? I think it does, because I think that that comes from this movie is about America and not mm-hmm. about, like, what Japan is doing or anything like that. Like, we also don't see the attack on Pearl Harbor, yeah. you know? We don't even hear the Japanese language. We don't hear... Yeah, it's it's not about mm-hmm. it's not about Japan at all. It's about an important battle for America. And I think in that sense, like, grappling with, you know, what like the effects that World War Two had on America, including internment. Yeah. That they can handle that, but they can't necessarily deal with like what does the Doolittle raid actually mean for like people in China? Because there's there's no Chinese people in this movie whatsoever. You know? Right. Um but yeah, I mean yeah, it is weird because twenty nineteen definitely like picks and chooses its heroes for mm-hmm. Japan and Nagumo is a villain, basically. Yeah, the only I good mean, guy is the guy who is going against all of Japan's decisions. Yamamoto is basically a god. Yamaguchi, who we haven't mentioned before, um, I really liked his actor. Who was that? In 2019, it was Kadano yeah. He was really good. He was um, he was very much like a hero character. He was in charge of one of the. He was in charge of two of the carriers at the battle, and was kind of another person who... Oh, he's the guy who goes down with his ship. Yeah, he was, so he was yeah. sort of making the right decisions, or at least, like, snidely commenting about, like, uh, Nagumo's fucking up, you know? 
But right. yeah, and then at the he end, he was we, sort of like a buddy buddy with with Yamamoto, just yeah. like this guy. Like even at the beginning, they're like you know laughing together, and like yeah. they go to they go to an important war meeting together. Yeah, they're talking about Pearl Harbor, Yamamoto and Yamaguchi, and they're just like he actually fucked up Pearl Harbor, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And they're like laughing about it, yeah. and then they're like, "All right, no laughing. We're about to go to this meeting," you know. Yeah. Yeah. And they go to the meeting, and they're like, "We need to like own the army in this meeting and tell them that how how smart we are." But yeah, then like he, so he goes down with um, with the he goes down with the ship, and apparently he did do that. He and uh, yeah. one of his officers they went down, and the captain of the ship they yeah. they went down together as Japan was scuttling the fourth carrier to 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 go down. Yeah. At, at the end of the battle. But he's depicted, like, very positively. And I don't think he's even in the 1976 movie. Or, like, very barely. Because I was looking yeah. for it the second time we watched it. Yeah, but so just to round out the the portrayal of Japanese internment in the 1976 movie, I think maybe not the best acting, but I thought the, uh, the inclusion of that storyline was effective. The sentiment. Yeah. The, the, the intention was there. Yeah, and I think it, it provided one of uh, a couple different sort of themes um, or like messaging of the movie, which I think I think we can get into now because that, that was different between the two movies, both like mm-hmm. what human interest they focused on and what, what overall they were trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, we, we mentioned this briefly, but... Basically, there's the battle, the lead-up to the battle, but each movie focuses on mostly one human interest story. There's, like, Leighton and his wife, but, like, that doesn't come to anything. There's the whole um, Nick Jonas story with Bruno Guido. Yeah, there are, like, random subplots about, like, real people and, like, all these crazy things that really happen to people. But at the heart of the story, it's really following Dick Best and his... You know, at the beginning, he's like a classic, like, cowboy shit pi- yeah, pilot. Yeah, overconfident um, guy. This is the 2019 version. 2019 version, yeah. Uh, and it's Ed Screen, who I think is most famous for... He was in Deadpool. I don't know if he was famous he for anything He should be most else. famous for the accent he's doing in this Midway movie. Not a great accent. <laughs> Very broad. We looked him up because... Do you wish you flew for the Enterprise. The Enterprise. <laughs> we were not good enough to fly for Enterprise. <laughs> Uh, we looked him up. I guess he's supposed to be from New Jersey. Dick I don't, Best. Dick right. Best. I don't know if he actually talked like that, but like, I think it's. I think he's not an American. Ed Screen. Oh, really? And so he's doing. Um, he's doing an American accent, and he's trying to do like a regional accent, and it's just not really working. And mm-hmm. I didn't think he was spectacular in the movie either. Overall, I thought he was very charming and charismatic. Oh, he's charismatic. I didn't think his acting was spectacular, but maybe a lot of that was the accent. Uh, but he's the heart of the movie, and you know he goes from being this, you know, really dickish, cocky pilot. Um, he loses one of his best friends during the attack on Pearl mm-hmm. Harbor, which we actually see at the beginning of the movie, and we see him go try to recover the body, and he's only identified by his his class ring. They were they went through the Naval Academy together. Yeah. Um, and then towards the end of the movie, he gets promoted, and he has to lead one of the bombing wings. A against... lot of character growth in his story. And, and so along with that, he has to, you know, he not only has to take care of his tail gunner, who 
basically tells him to his face, like, I don't want to fly with you because you don't care about coming back alive. Yeah. Which is true from what we see in the movie, you know, that he mm-hmm. really doesn't care about him or his plane or anything. Well, it's about the mission, yeah. Well, he's, he's sort of just a jackass, you know, <laughs> just an all-around jackass. And he, so he sort of realizes, like, he has to... He has to learn to inspire people and to lead people and that like leading doesn't mean, you know, making a big show of yourself. It it can mean, you know, just taking the time to talk to people and figure out what they need and to focus on the mission rather than on yourself. But it also doesn't mean that you live or die by each person you're leading because he the first pilot he's leading who expresses doubt you know, Dick Best is like, hey, you'll just, like, always be flying right with me. Next time they go out, that guy dies just in basically like a freak accident. Mm-hmm. It was just a, a mistake that led to that guy's plane going down. And so immediately, Dick Best finally has this leadership position he's wanted, and he's lost the first person he sort of promised to take care of. Mm-hmm. And you see that really affect him. Um, so, yeah, just, like, everything that goes with being a leader, both inspiring the men you know, comforting them, but also, like, remembering you got to keep your your head clear and focused. You can't just let these things devastate you and stop you from, yeah. from being the leader. Yeah. So in, in the 1976 version, like I said, we don't really follow the pilots. The first pilots we really see in action are during the battle itself, and we meet them for the first time. What I would say is they took an actual... In 2019, they took an actual human person, Dick Best, and they gave us all that character growth and everything. Which, in like, 19, yeah, I'm sure none of that was, like... Real, and so in know? 1976, they have Nimitz, they have, you know, uh, Rochefort, they have all these have real palsy, keeper, yeah. people. But the people who are actually experiencing character growth and, like, you know, movie hero moments... That's Charlton Heston's character, Matt Garth, and yeah. and his son. So I actually appreciated that they included these fictional characters so we can have a movie and not, like, fictionalize the lives of, yeah. of real people the way 2019. And you're right about what you said before, that I do think he's sort of like an audience stand-in, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And it's not that he's without viewpoints, and I think at, at, at one point his son just graduated either from college or from the academy yeah, and, he's and like, I got, got a commission in uh in the navy as a pilot they and he gets assigned to pearl harbor so they they meet and they go out for a drink or something and that's when his son tells him you know i'm dating uh this japanese american girl mm-hmm. he's like oh what do you think of that like what do you think of that you hate that yeah the son and, keeps thinking that charlton heston's and charlton heston's like, like don't give me that racial bigot crap <laughs> yeah which makes you think that like they've had this conversation before yeah. and that charlton heston is a racist but i also wonder because like i feel like charlton heston is a known like right winger i know it was hard to not think about because they had had that conversation before i think you are meant to infer that like yeah charlton heston isn't like super racially progressive right because he loves his son i think he's willing to like open his mind a little bit i think it's more than just his love and affection for his son because when charlton heston is arguing about the detainment of haruko that's the love interest played by uh, christina kokubo when he's arguing about it he's like this is ridiculous that they would be detained for like subscribing to a magazine or whatever and it's it's more than just the fact that he loves his son and wants 
Haruko to be free. It's that he's recognizing the ridiculousness of Japanese internment itself, well, I which think... I think I think is more commentary on the U.S.'s actions. I I think Charlton Heston's character can't be confused with Charlton Heston himself. Well, okay, fair, but I think the movie wants you to see that as like a character arc but i don't really think that it was written that way i don't think it was a character arc i think it was a generational divide yeah of just yeah. the kid being like you don't understand it because he's like this hothead young kid who's in love and charlton heston just with more years and experience is just like you just misunderstand me i like want you to be happy and agree with you that these you know, reasons for detaining your fiance are ridiculous, you know. But because we have this familial friction, I've divorced your mother and everything, like, that's more what it was about. It okay. wasn't that Charlton Heston needed to realize. So like, you don't think that there was meant to be, like, an arc of him being like, damn, like, I shouldn't be racist? No, I don't think so. Okay. I think it was just the son not having baggage with his father. You're right. There's, like, an estrangement. And I think, I guess you're right. It makes sense if we see it generationally but don't give me that racial bigot crap maybe that's misleading because that definitely made me think like that's the that's thing something that a racist would say says, you know what yes, i mean yes like no, i i agree with you there so yeah. okay so i think like either way whatever it was going for it wasn't crystal clear about yeah. like what that relationship arc was supposed to be but we do see the changes with the the father and son once they're actually shipping out the son is really upset um because he's been reassigned and all these other things. But they do get a moment to talk. And Charlton Heston makes it clear, like, I vouched for you and, you know, for your for your girl. And actually, she's out, she's out of... I think she and her parents um, are no longer in the camp at the end of the movie. Yeah, because she greets him when he comes home. Yes. Um, because the movie ends with the, the son is on one of the bombing raids... Uh, against the Japanese carriers, and he, he gets really badly burned. He gets burned. really badly burned, and this is sort of the ending of of this story arc mm-hmm. of Father and Son, is he's now, you know, on his gurney, getting wrapped up, and Charlton Heston is by his side, and you just can tell, like, he's made his father proud, you know, by by proving his mettle in battle. Yeah, and also and his also, father... And also, like, his father is now clearly on his side and he can trust his father too he says like there's a picture of me and Haruko can you you know make sure it gets off the ship so that I can have it and so their bond is finally healed for whatever reason it had been fractured yeah and and I think that um along those lines when they when they are on the carrier right before the battle the sun is still pissy for lack of a better word yeah. about like you know what his dad did and then i think charlton heston just gets like fed up with it and he's like man shut the fuck up about your girlfriend we're like we're at yes, war he does say that you know like we're doing this whole yeah. thing so like i don't care about you crying about mm-hmm. crying in front of your girlfriend's picture he says like exactly that yeah and he's like you better shape up tiger or some some pilot's gonna take you down like yeah. you're gonna go down and so i think like there's a there's supposed to be like another arc with the sun where he learns like to stop <laughs> pissing and moaning you know about his girlfriend but like i don't think that really well, lands I think it, he, very he's well more either, like you know you know however the experience of war changes a person that that's the son's storyline right yeah. right 
I don't know. So, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, like, I don't think that that whole thing worked for me. And I think, for one thing, Charlton Heston was so good. And both the son character and the girlfriend, fiance, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yes, they were really bad actors. Especially the girlfriend. We mentioned who plays the son. Tom Garth, played by uh, Edward Albert. Yeah. Yeah. He was mediocre. <laughs> It was pretty one note because he was just complaining to his dad about like yeah. his girlfriend the whole time, you know, and just sort of pouty. But like Charlton Heston, like say what you will about the man, like great actor, and like it's, I, I think like sometimes you don't recognize what a great actor is until they're playing against someone that's really terrible. And the Charlton Heston had a lot of scenes with the girlfriend, and she was just like really bad. Yeah. I mean, we're going to play clips of her, right? Because I think even (laughs) just in her voice. Damn it, I'm an American. Okay, so Charlton Heston, if we're talking about human interest, yeah, 1976 is more about tactics and, like, intelligence and how they they managed to pull it off. And the human interest lies in this this fictionalized person. And Mm -hmm. so they end it with, obviously, they, they... They've lost a lot of people. Both sides, American and Japanese, lost so many lives on this day. And so American forces end up in this position where they've got more planes than pilots. And so they say to Charlton Heston, hey, can you fly Mm -hmm. on this this final sort of raid? And so he goes out. Yeah, they've taken out the three carriers. Mm -hmm. The fourth carrier attacked and sank the Yorktown. Yes. Um, and so they, it's still a threat, so they want to take out this last carrier, and they don't have enough people to do it. Yeah. And so Charlton Heston goes on that, that final raid, and, and he goes down. Um, and so it just... I think it's meant to be more impactful than it actually is, or actually was for me, where it's like, this is our guy that we've been following the whole time, mm-hmm. and he he dies in the battle. And it's... I think meant to be a reminder of how much life was lost at the Battle of Midway. But when people die in the 2019 version, it's like, yeah, that person died, you know? Whereas with Charlton Heston, it's like, yeah, the only death we really see in the movie is the guy that doesn't exist. You're right. It's not as meaningful. Like, it doesn't have, like, that realism. Yeah, when it comes to realism, 1976 really immerses you into the battle in a way that 2019 does not, I would say. And that's because of their inclusion of clips. And it's very chaotic. Like, you can't follow the battle in the 1976 version at all, I would Mm -hmm. say. It's literally just a long series of things happening. But it is so gripping because you see planes go down that you know is clips from mm-hmm. battle and you're like someone yeah. just died. I mean basically know? the way that the, the way that they structured it is they would have most of the scenes be Nagumo on, on his flagship, right? Mm-hmm. The Akagi. They would be making their decisions about what they were gonna do. And then you would have uh, the American commanders in Pearl Harbor and on their ships in at midway you know deciding what they're going to do and then prior to these engagements you would have these really terrible like it's not green screen it's just where they project the sky 
in a right. background, and, and they have someone, someone sitting, sitting in a all... fake cockpit. Yes. And they're just like, oh, I'm flying, you know? And you would have yeah. that. But then during the battle, it would switch over. Like, during, like, uh, engagements, it would switch over to, like, real footage of, you know, planes being shot down. Yeah. But they would have voiceovers of, you know, their actors, you know, saying, like... I wonder oh, about like, those he's on voiceovers, your, You know, too. he's on your tail, like, get him, like, you know... Oh, I wondered they're... if some of those were actual sounds. Yeah, it's, I think they were... I think they were voice actors, but I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. Or the same actors that they showed in the planes and the cockpits. But, you know, they would be talking to each other and saying things. But what they were saying basically had no relation to what was happening on screen because they were just taking, like, the footage that they could fit best into that. And so, like, you don't really see what's happening. Whereas in 2019, you see, like, everything. You know, you see the formations of Japanese bombers, like, as they're taking off from the carriers before the battle... You know, because they launch and then they wait and they wait for everybody else. So they're circling and you see them like form up until it's just this enormous air wing. And the same on the American side. Like you see all these like little squadrons of of bombers like, you know, navigating and, and finding the carriers and then, you know, going after them. Like you really see everything. So what did you find to be more effective, the 1976 depiction of the battle or the 2019? The seeing, like, the real footage is very impactful, but it does take you out of the movie. You you see what is clearly footage of, like, you know, planes being shot down, and you're just like, people just freely died in that footage, you know? But at the same time, it's so disconnected from what you've just seen and even outside of that, all of a sudden you're meeting all these pilots that you haven't met before. It's so disconnected from the rest of the movie. Whereas in 2019, I kind of think like the A and the B plot should be so interconnected that you don't even notice that they're two separate plots. Right. In 2019, you're following Dick Best and he's got like his personal journey but he also is playing a role in the battle and like the people that are part of his personal journey are playing a role in the battle and in 76 you know there's the B plot of the father and the son and then all of a sudden we switch to Midway and it's like this is neither the A plot nor the B plot because these are characters that we don't know and not only that we're seeing footage that is not shot for the movie that doesn't fit in with the rest of the movie and it's like it's impactful in its own way it's not a coherent whole you know what i mean i know what you're saying about coherence and i actually didn't find it very jarring like they would split from actual footage to like someone clearly acting just like falling backwards in the cockpit with like ketchup blood you know yeah but i don't i didn't find it jarring because i think you recognize that it's being made at this time, but you're... I, I mean, I've never seen anything like that, like mm-hmm. the 1976 movie. I don't know if I was really prepared for it when we put the movie on, that that's what I would be seeing that night. And Like something so real? Yeah. Something so raw? Yeah. For what it is, I think it's way more effective in really making you feel what the battle was. And it is just chaotic, but honestly, neither movie really explains the battle super in a way that's easy to follow. I agree. I will say watching both of them, 
is an gives interesting you experience more. because they are so different. But yeah, it gives you more. Well, I, I think what we were talking about about the uh, like the waves of bombers, just like the constant barrage of bombers that attacked the Japanese fleet, and it's like hundreds of planes over the course of like a couple hours are just wearing them down. You get more of that in the 2019 version, but I still thought like you don't get you don't get that full picture in either movie. You I know? don't know. I would say that you get that more in the 76 movie because you just see so many planes go down while you're watching that movie. Whereas in 2019, you know, there's only like two pilots you're really watching. Well, three. And as long as they're still alive and flying, then the three pilots you know about are still going. You know, I don't, I didn't feel like you got that same sense of, of so many people. I guess I would just say that I don't think that's correct because I think in 2019, you see a lot more American planes going down, even though you don't know who they are because you're only following people from the wave from the Enterprise, which is the one that actually broke through. You still see the scenes and you see like that line, you know, 15 American bombers just went down. And I think one of the staff members reports and says, like, we didn't lose anybody, you know, and they're like, oh, we're about right. to win this shit, you know, and you see scene after scene of that. And I think it's it's not always clear, like. I watched both of these movies and then I looked up what happened and that's when I realized like the actual truth of this battle is just that wave after wave after wave of American planes were sent in against these carriers and eventually the Japanese fighters were worn down they were out of position they were out of fuel they lost the carrier to land on yeah and then they started losing carriers and yeah you know, that's like the truth of the battle. And I don't think you really get that from either either movie, but I do think that I don't I don't agree with you that in twenty nineteen you don't feel the losses of those planes. There's one other difference that I would point out, and that is when it comes to the music. I was really you know, they, they give the credits at the beginning in the nineteen seventy six movie and I picked up right away seeing John Williams's name. Yep. Okay, music is gonna be a big part of it's gonna be dope. of this movie. But then the battle comes and it's just the sound of the battle. Yeah. Which I thought was a really interesting decision. There's actually only one scene with John Williams score that it stood out to me, and it's when Charlton Heston's character is taking off when he joins in that last raid. And I think there's two things to note here. One, he's the fictional character and we're suddenly getting like the hero music. So it's like, this is the part that's a movie and not just showing us war. The other thing is, I think the reason it stood out to me is because they faded it out really badly. And I was Mm. just like, oh, what happened to the music? I don't know if there was music in other parts that I just didn't pick up on. Meanwhile, I think the 2019 movie played music throughout the battle. The music in the 2019 movie was done by Harold Klosser and Thomas Wanker, and th- there were definitely moments where the music was playing and Dick Best was doing this awesome thing, and it's just like, this is just a movie, and you have to remind yourself that this really happened, you know? And I think having that hero music can be too much when it's like, no, this dude's actually just like a war hero. Yeah. Know? And there was other stuff, like some of the dialogue, like... Uh... When Dick Best dropped one of his bombs on one of the carriers, I guess, uh, I can't can remember, the Kaga or the Akagi. The one that was covered with planes? 
Yeah, the mm-hmm. Akagi, I guess. I, I can't remember. But he's like, oh, this is for Pearl, you know? Oh, yeah. And it just sounds so stupid. But then, you know, we looked it up after the fact, and basically Dick Best really did all the shit that he did in this movie, right? I know. And I thought that he was a fictional all, character for a lot of the movie. It's also, like, so he's one of two people to have hits on multiple carriers, right? On the same day, yeah. Like, he, he really did those things. Is it really unrealistic, or are we just so, like, jaded or whatever, we don't want to recognize it? Like, so many of these things are unlikely and seemingly just made for movies, but they actually did happen, you know? And in some cases, like, they happened in the in one person, you know? Yeah. Like, Dick Best really did those things, and he did them while he was inhaling, like, toxic fumes oh the whole time. Oh, my God, yes. That's, ugh. Because, oh so, he never flew again. Cause he never flew again after the battle. Because up during the battle. Yeah. Like, think about, like, if he had gotten up in the air, put on his oxygen mask, and been like, no, we're turning around because I can't fly like Which this. Which he would have been totally within his rights to do. Right. Like, the entire course of the battle could have been different. And actually, that's something, I think watching the 1976 movie put me in the mindset of, God, it's all just chance and, and whatnot. And the 2019 movie really tries to tell you, it's like skill and heroism. Yeah, and yeah. I guess somehow both are true, yes. but to hear a story like Dick Bess and realize that it's a true story, it's just like, wow, yeah, all of the luck in the world can help you out, but you need someone with that skill and, like, daring. Yeah. I think you, you hit the nail on the head with kind of, those are the themes of each movie, is that 76 is very much like, this is all a crapshoot, like, everything is just random and... 2019 it's like the opposite it's like okay yeah there's random shit that happens but like the fact that like this one person this one person in the movie that we're gonna follow we watch him become a leader and then he does something incredible during the battle yeah and it actually like sinking carriers you know like the most powerful and important weapons like outside of nuclear weapons or even arguably alongside nuclear weapons like the most powerful weapons that have ever existed like and one person can make such a difference and i think the other point of that movie or one of the other like points that it tries to strike home is that the pilots themselves are like this invaluable resource you know when when the first wave of bombers comes back from the carriers that there's so many like planes and crews and pilots that went down and they can barely muster enough people to send the next group and that becomes like a thing like later on in the war like the japanese are so desperate and so like low on experienced pilots even though in this battle outside of the movies it's details yeah yeah but i mean in this battle you know they make a big deal of japanese equipment being better and we see there are multiple like u.s weapons system failures right like the torpedoes fail um the automatic release on the bombs fails Oh, that was another detail that was only included in one movie. Yeah, yeah. in the 1976 movie. And the torpedoes were oh, only God. in 2019. All these bombers going out just with nothing. What What does the guy say? Oh, let's just throw spitballs at them. And they're like, well, we'll go in anyway because we'll draw some fire, right? Yeah, which is, oh my God, for that to be your role. I wanted to share part of these movies that adds to the point we're making here about luck versus skill is that they both start with a, a sort of typed statement on the screen which i think can really 
change a movie. I think it it takes away your ability as an audience member to really interpret the movie the way you want to. Mm-hmm. So in the 1976 Midway movie, the text is an opening crawl, and it says, This is the way it was. The story of the battle that was the turning point of the war in the Pacific, told wherever possible with actual film shot during combat. It exemplifies the combination of planning, courage, error, and pure chance by which great events are often decided. The title card for Midway 2019 says... This is a true account of the events that led to the most important naval battle in American history, one single day that turned the tide of the war in the Pacific. They also end the movie with information about each person who is shown, and they follow that information up with the statement, This film is dedicated to the American and Japanese sailors who fought at Midway. The sea remembers its own. So I think... Quite clearly, 2019 is saying these are the brave people who made it happen Mm -hmm. and absolutely changed the course of the war. Whereas the 1976 movie, I think, includes that, but it really stood out to me that error and pure chance. Like, people made mistakes. People made the wrong call. Now, it also says in the 1976 movie, you know, planning and courage. You know, I think it's easy to forget that we do see that as well. But we see that mostly with the way intelligence was, you know, collected and the fact that they go out to Midway in the first place. What we don't really see is the individual pilots. Yes, we see them, we see their names on screen, but we don't really get their experiences the way we do in the 2019 movie. Which is why the 2019 movie, you get more of the individual courage. Because those are the people whose lives were on the line. Yeah. I've never seen something like that where it's specifically says there's so much randomness that we're not just going to show it to you. We're going to specifically call it out. I would completely agree. And I think the 1976 movie stands out for me as showing me war in a way I haven't seen before and that I feel like understood what what war was. Because you're making a movie about it. Like you're you're turning a war into a Hollywood product, but... And there's always something that goes along with that of... Glorification? Exactly. Glorification or just like something... It's not real. You know, it's fiction. Well, I think something that both of us felt after watching these movies was learning history through film. I think both of these movies are really interesting and have a lot of information about this battle. I wonder, for a lot of people especially now... In 1976, I think you're right that... A lot of people who are seeing this movie would have been alive during the events of the Battle of Midway and don't need a lot of historical context for it. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people now probably do. You know, I mean, Which I think was part of the decision for 2019 to yeah. cover the six months leading up to it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably right. You know, I think for, for people of our generation, you're watching one of these movies and you're actually learning things. Whereas for people who lived through it, you know, you're watching it and you're seeing it depicted like you've never seen before. And that's interesting in its own way, but that's not your first foray into that topic. I don't want to say they fail, but I do think they fail a little bit in giving you an understanding of what this battle actually, what happened, you know, like, (laughs) and that sounds terrible to say because like both movies give you two hours of what happened, right? Right? Yeah. And so much to, to this battle 
that goes into both of these movies that maybe it's like information overload and you are not able to really comprehend like what is important about this you know and i think like the best war movies or battle scenes like probably the best battle scene that i've ever seen is helm's deep right oh and that's just something that you're able to comprehend every every beat of that battle you are able to comprehend and that's obviously fictional and no real battle will be as movie ready as as something like that I think something to it being a siege too. Yeah. Helps helps it be more clear. Like if they breach the wall, that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh it it is interesting to watch and still come away. Like I came away from these movies and I was like, I wanna like learn there's so many gaps, you know? Right. Even both of them like kind of complementing each other because they both focus on different things, you know. Like we get more of the Japanese like scouting planes and why they didn't know what they didn't know in the nineteen seventy six version. And then we get, like, other things about, you know, the background on how the pilots found the Japanese fleet. Even though they complement each other in that way, I was still left being like, but I don't understand the actual progression of this battle still. I don't know. Like, the one thing that they were trying to do, I was like, that's what I was left confused by. I would say I agree that neither of them explained it in a way that was easy to follow or even at times possible to follow. But I think watching both of them together, they filled in each other's gaps in a lot of cases. Yeah. Uh, Like 1976 really showed so much scouting that I Mm -hmm. didn't need in 2019. I'm like, I get it. It's really hard to find ships. Right. You know? But then 2019... And for some reason, it's really hard to tell your... Your right. superior officer. To then convey that information. What in you a, found. Yes. Um, but then in 2019, the ship that McCluskey followed in order to find the fleet, 2019 made it clear that that was another moment of happenstance with the submarine, you know? So I agree that there's a lot to be improved and we'll get into that. But I think this is one instance where watching both movies is necessary for understanding the battle. I will also say, in terms of learning history from movies, I love knowing history, like learning more about history, but I am not often captivated by modern history, you know, or especially, you know, war. Everyone should experience really delving into the details of a historical event just to appreciate the complexity of how the world is changed by such small moments and people. I mean, one thing that I thought of was like, you know, there's the whole thing, the great man of history theory for Mm -hmm. learning history. Someone like Dick Best, like he wasn't in charge of the Navy. He just flew really well on the day that the United States needed him to, and Mm -hmm. then never flew again. So something that was in, I mean, I don't mean this in an insulting way, but like the great small man of history, you know? Like, Ooh. he was the right guy there wow. that day, you know? And Did it's you just, come up with that? It's literally been in my head since we watched the wow. movie. Like, movies can fuck up history and leave you with a lot of misconceptions. I mean, Pocahontas, let's, you know? They also, they really are an effective way of helping you visualize and think about things and really get into the details. And like you said, like, I amazingly was also interested in the details of a modern naval battle which never have been something that i would be like oh let me wikipedia this you Mm -hmm. know 
And I think to your point about like how movies can show you something, I think that 90% of the time they can show you something in an amazing, incredible way. But then this other 10% of the time, they really, if something is not filmable, they can't show it at all. And then so like you make these movies and you make what you can make. So then you end up with a movie like Midway where it shows you what it can show and then there are parts that like for whatever reason it can't show you everything or it can't put this together in a coherent visual way that also does all the other things that a movie should do mm-hmm. and it has to sacrifice something and it's it like well to. we're going to sacrifice the things that you can't see the things that are invisible and i think to both of these movies credit like they do a really good job of making making you understand like the intelligence behind these movies and doing yeah. it in a way that is not just like a character being like okay well I'm going to talk to the camera we intercepted these codes and blah 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 and then the Japanese guy being like well they intercepted our codes but like we're going to send a scout plane like like it is like that but like yeah. they, they show you they do a good job of like of doing what they can do to make that interesting and to make it like a plot progression but I think there are always going to be gaps like in any medium there are going to be things that that medium is not good at and I think in film, like, the film is really good at showing you, like, Helm's Deep, I think, that's meant to be shown on film. Mm-hmm. That's meant to be, like, a spectacle that you can understand. But I think Midway, there are parts of it that really just, that aren't, you Well, know? I think you're talking more about the limitations of the medium yeah. itself. And I get more hung up on the, like, directorial choices and biases that end up in film and just inaccuracies that are allowed and that's sort of a separate issue of that yeah and there were like so many little moments where we were just like that can't be true i know we did we looked up what's his face uh the nick jonas character bruno guido yeah, yeah. well there, i mean there's a scene where or like there there's been a japanese bomber wing that attacked their carrier the enterprise before the battle of midway and one of them is it's like on on fire but still able to control itself and it turns around and it's aims for aims for the enterprise into the enterprise and Gaido jumps into one of the the fighters or the planes that's on deck and just starts using the gun to to shoot at it and yeah and then the plane his down. plane is destroyed like the plane that Nick Jonas is in mm-hmm. but he survives and then he gets promoted on the spot Oh, this is like that's weird because this is obviously not true because yeah, the, this is Nick Jonas's contract. He'll be in the movie if <laughs> right. you have him do this. Well, I was thinking <laughs> like I was thinking of, you know this is meant to like make us think about kamikaze and and all that, right, yeah. which only happened like later in the war, like years later. It actually like that's exact that's like actually exactly how it happened. And there's another part of the movie where an an american bomber is shot down and basically in the same situation aims itself at the uh at the bridge of the akagi where nagumo is you know directing the battle and just barely misses the the aircraft carrier and goes into the water and i thought both of those things were like just felt out of place but those things actually happened and like nick jonas like the same character who jumped into the tail gun of the that plane was also captured during midway yeah, and scooped out of the water and tortured and tortured and executed, executed. by the japanese yeah. 
there are, there are some times when movies like are so over the top that you think everything you're seeing you have to like take it back 50 percent all right well i think we've gotten too far from midway so let's bring it back to the movies and to our ultimate question uh based on our discussion and having seen the movies and all of our thoughts about it do you have a movie that you prefer in many ways, the work of a critic is easy. We risk very little, yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and their selves to our judgment. Both of these movies are disappointing, but I also really like them both. But it, it's just weird because, you know, we've been talking about how we would want to see this depicted. We'll get into that. So I guess it's with reluctance that I say I think I liked the 76 version better and I think part of it is Charlton Heston is really good Charlton Heston is really good Ed Screen is not great oh he's so charming he's okay um but like we get like stupid scenes of like Ed Screen with his wife and like everything with Patrick Wilson like I kind of like Patrick Wilson but he was not very good in that movie and he was you know the second main character as Leighton Yamamoto was a little over the top. At the same time, you know... It was very one-dimensional. I believe I mentioned this... Why did I have to go first? Because I... I don't know. You haven't decided yet? I was in charge of leading us into the transition. You haven't decided yet. Well, look. Okay, let let me walk you through it. I have never experienced anything like watching the 1976 movie, especially when it comes to a war movie. I think they set the tone with that opening crawl immersed me in the battle in such an effective way um despite not being able to follow it necessarily Mm -hmm. and also just i had such an appreciation just from that movie of the intelligence involved and the the all of the little pieces um so then i was like just even more amazed when I saw the 2019 version and I had an appreciation for so much more of the battle that hadn't managed to be included in the 76 movie, especially, you know, the individual people in the 2019 movie. Just really incredible uh, how, how their actions affected things. So I was so sure after watching, even after watching both of them, that I would say 1976. But then I think as time has gone on, I've been like, yeah, but like 2019's a better movie, right? But now you're saying 1976, and I'm. I don't know because now you've really convinced me. Really inclined to go back to my original. Now you've convinced answer. me that 2019 is better, but I already used my one. I like them both equally on Scarface. That's true. You did. You get one per season, and I already <laughs> used it. Okay. What makes 1976 better? Let's start the other direction. What makes 2019 better? What makes 2019 better? Okay. A coherent story with more uh, consistent acting skills across the board? I disagree with the second point, but we'll get to that. Oh, because you don't like... uh, What's his face? Ed Screen's fine. He's okay. I I, I think his his accent is ludicrous. We're not good enough to fly for Enterprise. And actually, I don't think it's the acting. I think some of the writing is subpar. And then so you have these actors saying like ridiculous things. Some of the some of the script of 1976 is very cheesy, but we're just hearing it old refined voices of Hollywood, so it sounds, you know, legit. 2019, I think the best thing that it does, I think it does show the actual battle. 
you can really follow like all of the planes during the battle without a problem because there's no like random cuts where it's like well we don't really have this footage and we can't get it you know in 2019 they're like we can get everything and i thought it looked great i looked up the reddit commentary on this movie and everybody there was they were like this looked terrible and i thought it looked really good I don't know why they're saying it's terrible because, yeah, I think it did look really good. I I will say whether or not the movie effectively showed the the air battles. Air battles are just really hard to look at. There's all these things exploding in the air and just, like, gunfire all over the place. So even if you were to depict it perfectly, I think it's just hard to look at, you know, fighters... What's it called? Dog fighting? Mm-hmm. Whatever. To look at that in the air and be like, yeah, I can tell what's going on. So, you I know, maybe maybe the movie did depict it really well and I just couldn't follow. So much of it was reminiscent of Star Wars. Yeah. Like, you know, even like their call signs were like, you know, Red 5. And, and like, it was almost like directly like, directly the same dialogue as Star Wars coming out a year later. And I'm sure that, you know, I think George Lucas was influenced by World War II movies that came out before this movie, right? Before Midway. So it's not just this. So you're saying 1976 looked like Star Wars, but 2019 didn't? I think it looked like, I think to audiences of the time, there were a lot of World War II movies that looked like that, you know, and that you can follow those air battles in that way. Because I think that's what George Lucas was trying to do with star wars right mm-hmm. he was gonna have you know he wanted to have his big battle in space look like world war ii footage essentially but then when we look at it we're seeing that they're not actually showing us anything because they can't what i'm looking for is something like 2019 where it we follow the plane on his mm-hmm. entire attack run, which you do see in Star Wars because they did it all with models and they didn't try to, you know, directly, you know, copy the fact that you can't see things in these World War II movies. I think they wanted you to see it. They wanted to base it off of it, but you see it. But anyway, I think in 2019, yeah, they want you to know what it looks like. Even if, like, it's hard to understand that you know what it looks like. And I think in Midway, 1976 you don't really get a sense of what this looks like. I think... At least from the from the bomber's point of view. I mean, I, well, yeah. Well, yeah. Yes. You don't follow anybody in a dive bomb in the 1976 mm-hmm. movie. You know, I think we've been acting like 1976 is impossible to follow, but you still get more... You get a sense of, oh, they just sunk a, sank a carrier, you know? Even if it's not as clear as the 2019 movie... The inclusion of the the real footage just makes it a completely different experience. Mm-hmm. So I think they're like impossible to compare, honestly. Well, I mean, the whole point of the podcast is to compare. Okay, so if I say that I can't compare the battles, then I gotta look at everything else. And there is so much else to look at, which is the lead up to the battle. Like we said, 2019 spends 47 minutes just getting to the Doolittle Raid. So there's just a lot there. I would say a lot of that was probably not necessary. I don't think Pearl Harbor was necessary for the 2019 movie, but because they decided to include it, I think it should have been more effective and impactful than it was. 
it felt like a Hollywood yeah. action sequence. I think that's actually why 76 didn't want to do Pearl Harbor. Because mm-hmm. it's like, this is something that's so... It's so known. It's so seen. You know, people know what this looks like. You know, we've seen still images. You know, the, the Japanese pilots were taking pictures of Pearl Harbor as mm-hmm. they were attacking it. Like, we know what that looks like. Um, we've seen, you know, the movies... I think they were just like, we don't want to bring all the baggage of you seeing Pearl Harbor again into this movie. I think it, along with basically everything else, uh, before the movie actually becomes about the Battle of Midway, is too much and not not necessary. So I'm going to cut that out of, of my analysis and say it's a negative point to 2019. Then we get into gathering the intelligence that leads to Midway, and I already shared earlier that I think 1976 does that better. All right, David, I think my answer is 1976. Okay. What can I tell you, kid? You're right. When you're right, you're right. You're right. Gosh, that was hard, though. Neither of these movies do their job well, but I really liked both of them. You know what I mean? And I liked watching them both because they they complement each other. Yeah. With their perspective on the event and... What they chose to include, yeah, while still keeping the broad strokes the same, so you get a, a big sense of like, yeah, Nimitz yeah, and, and all these guys really. Aside from their this. view of Nagumo, they don't really contradict each other at all. No, except like, for Nagumo, where they contradict. Except for Nagumo, where else, and okay, no, they also depicted what's his face differently, Rochefort, whether he was a morose, mopey guy or a bubbly eccentric. I think he's pretty similar. I think Hal Holbrook, I don't know. I, I liked both of those actors. So yeah, I think yeah. it was it was depicted a little differently, but I didn't think it was so far apart there. Yeah, you came away with that this guy's an oddball who's kind of hard to work with, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And like, there's a reason that they're in the basement and nobody wants to come down here. Oh, I love in 1976, they're like, uh, how often do the people down here shower? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Can I ask you a personal question? <laughs> I mean, really personal? Yeah. Uh, now we're just talking about like our favorite characters from the movies. So let's... Uh... Okay, so are we in agreement that we, we like 76, 76 better? 76, I guess. I guess okay. we're both having a tough time. Well, I think <laughs> I that'll think so. perfectly transition us into how would, we, how would we do it. I've got the most scathingly brilliant idea. I think we've made it clear that we don't think the battle was done as well as it could be in either movie but before we get into that i wouldn't include anything before getting the intelligence both movies include the doolittle raid which i guess happened right before midway uh i mean you were saying earlier that it, it sort of shocked japan into realizing like we need to act and that's why they let yamamoto do his midway plan mm-hmm. and so 1976 does it in, in an effective way where it's kind of like happening in the background like yeah during the credits the opening credits yeah doolittle's flying off of the aircraft carrier during the credits and then people are talking about it in their opening scenes but then it gets right into this is what the code breakers are saying yeah i guess i guess i would keep it closer to 1976's version of events but make the battle more focused by focusing on Dick Best and McCluskey and, I don't know, other other people who were 
ended up having a story of note during the day. Like George Gay ends up just in the in the water and rescued after the battle. So yeah, 1976, but make it more clear who the pilots are? I don't know. Maybe something this complicated is more formatted for television, but that's not what we do here. And I, I agree with you. In 2019, I liked the, uh, the Doolittle Raid storyline that it does put into perspective that like, even though American officers are talking about like, okay, well, what happens if we lose this battle? And they're all like, you know, I think in 1976, it's more like, well, we could lose the war. And I don't think that was ever really going to happen. And in 2019, they're a little bit more realistic about like, well, the Japanese could bomb Los Angeles. And it's like, yeah, that that's more realistic. That's true. But just because all of those things couldn't reasonably be expected to happen doesn't mean that this war wasn't like real. And I think that the Doolittle Raid storyline with Aaron Eckhart in China and you know at the end of the movie it tells you like I think the Japanese killed 250,000 Chinese mm-hmm. civilians in response to the Doolittle raid that like this this war is real to a lot of people it's not just the military fighting I don't know like I I think that's suitable for like a mini series but we can't really get into that in the movie because even that Aaron Eckhart storyline as important as it is, it feels a little out of place, you know? Mm-hmm. This is something, like, even what you said, like, per- the Pearl Harbor attack, that's how this war started between the United States and Japan. Even that feels out of place. Well, it's just, that's not the story here. I was I was thinking a couple different things. I was thinking maybe have it be from uh, entirely the Japanese perspective on, Ooh. like, the Akagi, because you see the whole... The Akagi whole... is where they're having the conflict of how to arm the planes. The, the Akagi is where Nagumo is. And you, from the Akagi, or from the Japanese fleet, you see the whole battle. Because the whole battle, yeah, the Japanese bomb Midway, and then at the end of the battle, they bomb Yorktown. But in between, the entire battle is, can these American bombing fleets actually score a hit on these Japanese carriers? And if they can... Can they hit them? Can they sink enough of them to actually turn the tide in this war? And you see all of that only from the Japanese perspective. If you if you are if you plant yourself on a Japanese ship during that battle, you see the whole thing. But then you you miss out on all of the American intelligence, which I think is so, a major part of the story. My other idea was if you could see every phase of the battle as it's happening in real time and then you could pause and be like okay what's the story behind that little thing if you're seeing it in real time and the bombers from um the enterprise in the yorktown and the hornet are showing up over the japanese fleet then you can be like how the fuck were they there you know how are they in position and then you can go back and be like okay like you Here's want a little... Christopher Nolan it. You want no. to start on the Akagi and go backwards of like, how do I end up in this situation? I don't. Th- I'm not picturing it like that. I'm not thinking about it like that. You're talking about like Dunkirk. I was <laughs> thinking about Memento, honestly. A little bit, yeah. I wasn't like start thinking at about... the end and, and figure out how you ended up there. I wasn't thinking about Christopher Nolan specifically, but I, I 
I feel you that I think so much of the story it is linear in that like like I said the story of this battle is just bomber group after bomber group going after these carriers and eventually they get through because fighters are worn down and because the fleet makes mistakes and just because eventually they get lucky and because they have a great pilot or whoever right right? but then there's all these like backstories for like every little detail for like everything that's happening in real time there's like five things that you could pick out as to like why is this happening right now if you tell it straight you know tell it like okay this is why this is happening at this moment and then you get that backstory and then you get the next moment why is this happening why is how would you indicate backstory versus real time on the akagi changing color palette this is old timey footage (laughs) (laughs) i guess i see that i guess i see that i don't know because i'm i'm just thinking like even these movies they're they're even put together you know they're five hours long right mm-hmm. that's already a miniseries but there's so much stuff that's left out and so much that like like i said why did the u.s actually win this battle that's like the one thing that you don't understand and that's the one thing that you should understand yeah leaving this this movie you have to tell it in some sort of way where you're really seeing like all of the decisions all of like the mistakes or like random happenstance that has led up to those things happening at the time that they're happening that's already been decided you know you can't depict this battle in real time because it didn't happen in real time you know it happened months ago it happened yesterday right it's happening right now but we don't know because their radio is broken so i think trying to depict it in real time is just like it's it's just always going to be more confusing than trying to depict it in a more abstract way that ends up being more straightforward for for understanding it i just like i want to cut a lot of these characters like why does nimitz need to be in this movie i get that he's important so this is the thing about yeah nimitz he's not the person you want to follow for this battle right right and i i think most war movies i think you kind of have to decide whether you're telling like a history of the battle or of the war or if you're making it like a personal war story you know what i mean it's really hard to do both how disjointed would it be to basically split the movie into phases with like a different main character for each phase because i would love to get a lot more of the code breakers themselves and not just have rochefort be like here's the information i've gotten but actually get, like, the hours put into, like, reading codes you don't understand just in the hopes of understanding one word, you know? That's well, one that, word more than we knew yesterday. I think that'd be a good miniseries, but it wouldn't be a good movie. Well, okay, but if that... Well, I don't know if it would make a good miniseries because it would get really boring after a while of just watching people looking at it's just a guy writing stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If he is the main character for the first... 15 minutes of the movie and then you have Nimitz being the main character for the next you know 15 minutes where he's been given this intelligence but whether you know we said we weren't sure based on these movies whether he really had the backing of the the pentagon right and so if he needs to sort of decide I'm going for it you know Hmm. despite my higher ups saying 
you know, be more cautious. I think we need to, to do it. And then we can transition to spruance to suddenly be put in a position he'd never expected to be in, replacing someone who is like such a well-respected naval commander. How's he gonna sort of take on that position of authority? You know, once he's done that, he's gotten the men to believe in him and they're out at Midway. Then the main character becomes McCluskey or Dick Best or somebody. Like, because I think that's sort of like their decisions at these different points are what create the story. I just don't really think that works for a movie. Like, you can't really have just a bunch of different characters. Because you need a character arc. Yeah. yeah, you need something to glue the whole thing together. You know, you can do it for a miniseries, but I think for a movie, like if you're gonna make a two-hour movie, you can't, you can't do that. You know, I mean, I think we're saying part of the problem with these movies is that there's too many characters, and then you're just saying like, let's do the same thing, but without like one character arc all the way through. Let's make it worse. You know, <laughs> I will say I watched a YouTube video that was like 15 minutes long and it explained I think the important things of this battle a lot better and more succinctly than the movies that we watched but I think like there are ways to do it in a more succinct way thinking about being succinct but also conveying the complexity of this battle I know we started our whole analysis with what interesting tidbits each movie decided to include what do you think is essential to include in our new version i think the code breaking and you know the intelligence that that really like precipitated this whole battle and allowed it to actually happen that is really important right everything else you know the the planes you know spotting the fleets and stuff that's all so confusing and even the people that were doing it were, like, confused, you know? I don't know? think it was that confusing. You're talking about the 76 movie. I would cut that because I, I don't think it really contributes to your understanding of what really happened. I, I would not cut that. And I, I thought it was missing from the 2019 Well, movie. I also can't decide whether the U.S. got really lucky or, like, really unlucky, you know? And maybe a little bit of both. And I guess you could flip it and apply the same to the Japanese. I I think, I I don't know, without being a naval historian or, like, an expert of any sort, it's really hard to say, like, okay, what were the really important things? But my understanding is that the really important things are that the U.S. was there in advance because they knew that this was going to happen. Whether by luck or by sheer numbers, they sent enough bombers against the Japanese fleet that the sustained attack eventually started getting hits on Japanese carriers, like, after a really long time. And everything else basically is superfluous. Well, see, I would go the opposite direction, and I would want to pack in all the tidbits. I know you just called it trivia, but I think it is fascinating the way it all plays out. And so I would focus more on all the different moving pieces and trying to portray that. The things like the submarine causing the... The one battleship to stay behind. Could I ask you this? McCluskey viewing it. Yeah. I know you don't like war movies in general. I don't. (laughs) But what is, like, what war movies would you say are good or things that you would, you know, want to take things from? Because, I mean, you can then reverse engineer it and say, like, okay, 
did this movie focus on the overall battle? Did it have, you know, all the leaders of the battle having big important discussions in their war rooms, you know? Uh, well, I will say the one thing that really puts me off from war movies is one, well, two things. One, I'm not big on action, so exciting action sequences are not going to make the movie great for me. And two, what you just said about the, the big important guys talking in the war room, that annoys me about war movies because you have to pay attention to so much. That was all Midway. All of that was... But the thing, the, the difference with Midway was you saw people doing stuff. The scouting planes, did they find the ships or not? Right? The, or in 2019, the dive bombers, did they land the torpedo or not? And just all of that sort of adding up, that's, that's not just discussion and everything. That was what made it a good Well, movie. it sounds like what you're saying is that we can't do it better than what they've already done. Which would be disappointing because like a story with so many twists and like random things happening and heroism and spectacle... And like real world import has two like decent movies, you know, and nothing's really spectacular in the way that we would want to see. And you're saying we can't do better. Well, no, I'm saying what's made us really enjoy these movies is how impressive this battle actually is. So I'm saying if you're going to make a movie, that's what you got to make sure you do. The spectacle. Not the spectacle. All of the moving pieces. And so you got to make sure you have all of them. Like, maybe it would need some sort of anachronistic maps included. Because I think I do want it to be very similar to the movies themselves. And the only thing to improve on is making it easier to follow what's happened. Really convey how many people were involved, right? How many pilots were involved. Bringing in, like, you know how in Seven Samurai they keep track of all the people there mm -hmm. fighting with the little X's? Something like that. We need we need the names of the Japanese ships to be more clear because that yes. was very difficult. No, that's that's exactly what I'm thinking. But like. some nice anachronistic maps because they they showed us maps, right? But I think they were going for like this is what Nimitz would have been looking at, you know? And it's like no, I want something with nice big names and some sort of count here of like a visualization of yes. these are all of our pilots and just watching that number shrink over yes, time. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm saying. Like, like really understanding that this is just a battle between how long can the Japanese fleet continue to shoot down every single American bomber. Yeah. That's what the battle is, you know? And but their ability to do so was affected by all of these It was affected all things. by all these things, yeah. But, like, depicting that in some way that's consistent. Because we go from, like, a different war room to a different war room. And, like, at some point we're looking at, like, an upside-down map, you know? And, like, Hawaii is upside-down and yeah. Midway is yeah. upside-down. And it's like, this isn't helpful. What we need is, like, some overall thing. Because you're right. Like, because we don't speak Japanese, it would probably really help to have those Japanese carriers really beaten into us, you know? Yes. What are they... What are their names? I think part of it, it's, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to come across badly if it ends up looking like the game of Battleship, but both Nagumo and Nimitz looking at their maps, part of it needs to be displaying what they know about the enemy. Like, have we spotted where they are? Do we even know how many carriers they have? I think it's clear that 
there's so much here that it's difficult to choose what you would actually put on film. What's filmable here and what's exciting is whether this limited wave of bombers that the Americans can send against the Japanese will succeed. And that is something that I didn't really get from either movie because each movie, I think, rightly focused on intelligence, which is hugely important to why this battle is even taking place and how it's taking place uh, in 2019, especially focused on individual actions of pilots and uh, the people who were uh, tasked with participating in this battle. I think we didn't get a sense of scale, if that's what you scale of the bombers. Like how many do we really have to send and how many have we lost and what are our chances that what we have remaining will be able to sink the Japanese carriers before we are found and they sink us with their greater force. Okay, so with these things in mind, ever since we brought them up, I've been feeling Nolan as director. I did think for a second about Kurosawa, which I think would be quite an interesting That'd choice. The whole thing. I mean, uh, but, well, he's, he's dead. Yes. Well, yeah, obviously. But Christopher Nolan, I think Dunkirk comes to mind. Oppenheimer's coming out. Yeah, so I think he's got an interest in uh, incredible events, you know? So I could see him. Yeah. Well, be able to pull this off. I honestly, like, this is going to sound silly, but I hadn't thought about Dunkirk. I, I thought about Dunkirk, like, in the abstract, because they're both World War II movies mm-hmm. and have um, air battles. But I think you're right that what I'm talking about is the way that Nolan shows that what happens even in real time for one person has already happened in another sphere, right? In another, like, part of the battle. So, like, in Dunkirk, you have the climax of three different events that all are crucial to how this event turns out happen on different timelines and then they intersect Mm -hmm. at the end right it does make sense for something like midway where you have all of these parallel events that are happening on different timelines and in totally different places coming together in one battle that takes place in one day and you have literally one day of battle every decision from the past like six months that some people have made combines with the actions of like one person that day or like random things that happened that day or the day before two days ago like a radio not working or dick best getting bad oxygen all these things like combine and i think to make that make sense cinematically yes you you might need to tell it out of order Christopher Nolan's obviously... Yeah, I don't know how he would do it, but I would trust him to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? The the only other thing is, because Peter Jackson did Helm's Deep, mm-hmm. he obviously oh. has an understanding of the rhythm of a battle scene, and I think could Wait. apply that to... I do like that suggestion. Anyway. Oh. Well, that's about it. Yeah. That's a lot. Well... Recommend seeing these movies. Recommend them as a double feature for sure. Very enjoyable for a war movie, I would say. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. 
This has been Two for One with Claire and David. Thank you.